1: Thank you for joining me today. Libby returns on Monday after taking a break for Passover. If you are celebrating, happy Passover to you. We're about to embark on the long weekend. But a reminder, we will have Free For All Friday, as always, tomorrow on Good Friday with Bob Comsick. Now, I know we have a lot of listeners in upstate New York. And I know that you likely have an opinion on who is going to win the pres. Presidential race between the presumptive Democratic nominee now, Joe Biden, and the incumbent, Donald Trump. So here's your opportunity to be heard by a Canadian audience. 416 360 0740 for our local callers and toll free 1 866 740 4740. Certainly in normal times, the presidential showdown between Biden and Trump would be the only news making headlines in the United States, but it is now a completely different landscape because of the coronavirus crisis. So how does the show go on in a time of physical distancing and orders to stay home? We found out yesterday Bernie Sanders has called an end to his campaign to become the U.S. Democratic presidential candidate, leaving a path for the former vice president to challenge the current president ahead of November's election. Joining us to talk about the presidential election, along with your phone calls, Jonathan Berkshire Miller at the McDonald laurier Institute, and Ronald Shuren, political science professor at the University of Connecticut. Hello, and welcome to you both. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Ronald, I'll start with you. How do you stage a presidential election in a pandemic?
2: Well, that's a very big question, and I wish I knew the answer. You know, the, the, there's no real parallel. We've had elections in wartime, 1944, and of course during our civil war, but it was nothing like this. The mechanics of the election are, are, are one issue. How do you how do you communicate with voters if you're a candidate, and then how do you have the election itself? There's much talk about going to heavily mail balloting, uh, and and uh, there's even some talk of uh, postponing the election which would violate law but there is talk of that and and, uh, much effort uh, to squelch that talk. So yes we're in a very difficult and challenging time and and, uh, the coming weeks and months will determine um, how we we deal with this problem.
1: Jonathan, how big of a role, uh, since the global pandemic is affecting us everywhere, how is that going to play into the US presidential election?
3: We'll have a quite a significant role for a couple of factors. I mean, uh, kind of building on the last comments, too, about how an election might proceed. I think one of the important things to look at in the campaign will be the power of social media, too. And I think uh, if the pandemic continues to kind of encumber uh, campaign events, much of that will uh, continue to be done uh, in a virtual space and on social media. And this is one thing that potentially might benefit the Trump campaign because of its uh, its use of social media. Uh, we know uh, the president is very fond of using Twitter and other social media vehicles. So this is one kind of factor uh, to look at is that uh, the, the power of social media there. The second element, I think, is that the economic consequences of this pandemic. So this is something that even if we see a let up uh, in the infections and in hopefully in the deaths in the coming months, Uh, We're going to see the economic kind of collateral damage that's going to be happening definitely through the end of 2020 and likely into 2021. Uh, So this is going to be a big factor regardless in the election.
1: Uh, you mentioned, Jonathan, about Donald Trump and his uh, his communication via Twitter. But, Ronald, uh, there has been a lot of criticism of Donald Trump's handling of the pandemic in his country. Is this ultimately or could it ultimately be the major factor in him not being reelected?
2: People who are critical of Trump's handling in this in this crisis tend to be those who were critical of Trump all along. Um, Certainly, it, 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 it highlights the, the basic criticisms of the president, his, his grandstanding, his, his uh, ego obsession, um, and uh, to some extent, his, his ineffectiveness in, in uh, dealing with how government does its nuts and bolts jobs. Um, that could be a good talking point for Democrats, and some of the polls have shown that um, Trump May be suffering a bit in that regard. Biden is ahead of Trump in the latest polls overall. Yet, it must be said that in recent weeks, Trump's handling of the crisis, uh, gotten, getting kind of favorable results, much to the surprise of many. Uh, that, that is maybe the rallying around position that happens when there is a crisis that happened with, uh, with other presidents and other crises, and maybe it'll dissipate over time. So we'll have to see where that works. Uh, Trump is very adept at social media, as as was said, very adept. Uh, but he's also a good rally speaker, and he'll be deprived that, uh that element. Uh, whether that mobilized a lot of voters, I don't know, but it mobilized a lot of energy among Trump's base.
1: You bring up an interesting point, and Jonathan, I'll get you to respond to this. Um... Is same as as in here in Canada, all of the leaders, regardless of their political stripes, so thinking about Doug Ford as a Conservative here in Ontario, and Justin Trudeau on the national stage as a Liberal, there has been no dissension between the two of them. They've essentially been saying the same thing, supporting each other. It's not really a time for politics. So in light of that environment, how does Joe Biden go at the pandemic, differentiating himself from Trump, but still not being political.
3: Well, it's a good point. And I think Biden has to be very careful on this point, uh, especially as the country needs to unite itself. I think what he might look to uh, kind of point to, and I think, uh, as I said, uh, the president in many ways has, has scored some own goals on this with his own kind of stoking of some divisions between uh, state and federal. And one kind of example that I'll, I'll reference here, uh, there's a few different examples. But one in particular is uh, his dealings with New York and uh, with new york governor cuomo so uh, i think biden uh, will have to tread carefully but i think uh, he would be um, uh, you know it would be a good design for him to kind of reference some of these divisions between the state and federal level and say that this is the time that we need the federal government in unison with uh, with governors uh, senators and others uh, to be working together so he's going to have to tiptoe around it and make sure that this is not about uh, undercutting the president, and his a response plan, um, full stop. But he, but he would be, uh, it would be beneficial, in my opinion, for him to kind of reference some of those divisions.
1: And Ronald, what about Joe Biden and his need to unite his fractious Democratic Party? What has he started out doing that well uh, in terms of his town hall last night and speaking very favorably and complimentary towards Bernie Sanders?
2: Yes, he's doing exactly what he should be doing. Uh, and And this is um, uh, this has worked well although i 'm sure he wouldn 't have asked for it to, to biden 's advantage to have things happening in the midst of the coronavirus crisis um, he 's reaching out to sanders supporters he 's making it clear that he welcomes them he 's going to move his policies to be not along the line of what Sanders would have wanted, but certainly something that sanders' supporters don 't react to with uh, with horror. And uh, I think that this is moving the party in as united a front as could possibly be the case. Also helped by the fact that unlike 2016, there is not a lot of personal animosity between Biden and Sanders. And uh, Sanders is, as, uh, will be saying nice things about Joe Biden, even as he continues to talk about some differences that he has with Biden's policies.
1: All right, let's take some calls. Uh, our Zoomer radio listeners want to get in on the conversation. Again, the number is 416 360 or toll-free 866 740 740 And if you're just tuning in, we've got Jonathan Berkshire Miller at the McDonald Laurier Institute and Ronald Sheeran, political science professor at the University of Connecticut, joining us here on Fight Back. Let's go to Pat in Toronto. Pat. Good to- morning. Hi, go ahead.
4: Well, I think that Bernie being out of the picture is probably a good thing. Um, His views, as far as I was concerned, are far too to the left. I mean, if they can get the health care one done, I think that would be a major accomplishment. And, you know, U.S. health care costs about 40 percent more per capita than we pay here in Canada. And um, we cover everybody. Um, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a Russian roulette. Uh, the only suggestion I would have, I wish they would introduce an IQ test for voters in the U.S. Um, I say that facetiously mm-hmm. because I just can't understand how people can support Mr. Trump. But uh, no, I think uh, I think Biden's going to have this one. I think so many people are going to find out the shortages in their health care program and the fact that as a leader, Trump did not listen to those who were telling him that there was a problem.
1: Pat, thank you for your call. I'd like to get your reaction to Pat's comments, Jonathan.
3: Yeah, well, thanks, Pat. Uh, I mean, I think you bring up a good uh, good point on health care. And, um, and obviously, uh, Bernie uh, and Biden were were different candidates. But I think for the Democrats, priority number one now is to try to unite. And I think that you're seeing that happening. Um, the challenge, I think, for Biden, I mean, this is assuming that things go well for him uh, in the election, is I think he's going to have a number of different priorities uh, that he's going to have to f- focus on. And health care probably is going to be one of them. But one of the ones that I am looking at very closely, and I guess this dovetails in with Canada-U.S. relations and uh, on the international scene, is kind of restoring uh, U.S. credibility uh, abroad. And and whether this is in the alliance sphere, whether this is on international trade, uh, whether this is on some of the uh, the international treaties and other elements of the U.S. is involved. And I think there's a lot of work to be done on that. and, And that is an area that I do see. Biden uh, especially in his time uh, as vice president of the Obama administration very much focusing on
1: Ronald what do you think that Bernie Sanders has to do now what role can he play to ensure uh, presumably he would much rather have Joe Biden be the president than than Donald Trump so how can he play that to his advantage
2: Well Bernie has uh, Bernie leads a movement not just a campaign as has often been said and one of the reasons he wants to stay on the ballot where he's on the ballot uh, is to give his many supporters the opportunity to continue to be engaged even though he knows he's not going to win the nomination so he does that as the first step and keeps them engaged and involved secondly he has to make the case to his followers most of whom will be receptive to hearing this that it's a choice between a somewhat flawed candidate but one who has progressive instincts and a candidate who has, uh, who, who, in the view of, of most Democrats, is reprehensible, and so it, a choice between those two, a person who's decent and a person who's not, uh, you easily motivate the the, the Sanders voters uh, to go for for Joe Biden. And if Bernie keeps making that pitch and makes it strongly and gets people to turn out. Then he'll, if Biden wins the election on January twentieth, uh, Sanders will have a, a welcome um, place in the in the Biden White House for voicing his views. Not that they'll all be accepted, but he'll certainly be heard. And I think that's what he wants, and that's what he reasonably can expect to get.
1: Ronald, what about this poll? And it's a couple of months old now. Uh, It was early in the year. A poll by Emerson College found 53 percent of Sanders voters said they would support the Democratic nominee no matter who won. So that means that 47 percent might not support the alternative candidate. What what does that mean? How, How would they conduct themselves during a vote?
2: Yeah, well, you know, a poll like that taken in the heat of the early primary may not be a good predictor of how things are going to play out when we cut, get close to November. Uh, but the problem is going to be not getting people. Not the people aren't going to vote for Trump. Problem is getting them to turn out, and this is just something that Sanders is going to have to work on very hard. And it's going to be kind of hard because a lot of that is usually done with big personal campaigning, and there's not going to be much of that in the coming months.
1: Uh, Jonathan, let's turn to uh, the best case outcome for Canada's relationship with the United States. Uh, Maybe paint a picture for us of either scenario, Trump winning re-election and his relationship, which seems to be fairly steady and solid with Justin Trudeau, or if Joe Biden were to take over.
3: Well, I I think uh, looking at it from the kind of the large scale, I think the first thing is that both are known uh, quantities. And now uh, we're still kind of uh, in the unpredictability space with the Trump administration. But at least we've had time to uh, to know Donald Trump and to and to deal with him Uh, with Biden as well. Under the Obama administration that we've dealt with uh, with Biden as well, we know some of his policies. I think that there probably would be a preference uh, for a Biden administration, and I think that that would align with a number of uh, our priorities. And just to kind of give you a, a sampling of what things might look like, if if it is a Biden um, a win in the election, I think on international trade, uh, Biden was a big supporter, for example, of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, which we are now uh, a member of. But uh, the U.S., uh, of course, is pulled out of that. So it's now the TPP-11 He's indicated, uh, even in his campaign discussions, that he'd w- w- like to take a look at that again. Obviously, um, uh, it was a difficult agreement, even for Hillary Clinton when she was uh, campaigning against Trump in the last election. But I think that he will take a, a strong look at international trade and, and take a very different approach uh, than Trump did. So that could be positive for Canada. On another scale, and I think this is probably uh, uh, you know more impactful for Canada and uh, and others in uh, in Europe, is I think that. Biden will take a much different approach when it comes to the value of alliances and partnerships, whether it's in the NATO sphere, whether it's in uh, in other cooperative uh, uh, bodies. I think that he very much has emphasized the importance of America working with uh, key like-minded democracies. So I think those things, I think, are very important. I think on Trump, you know, again, I think that we have uh, learned uh, to deal with some of the most difficult kind of ups and downs with the Trump administration, most of those being on trade thus far. So, again, I don't think that it may be a preferable situation for Canada, but I do think that we're getting used to, uh, as our Deputy Prime Minister mentioned just recently this week, the constant gardening of the U.S.-Canada relationship. So it's uh, I think we're going to be ready for both uh, scenarios.
1: Um, what do you think about that, uh, Ronald? In terms, I, I know Americans don't think a whole lot about us on, on a good day, but in terms of the relationship between both countries, especially in light of the USMCA, which is, has just been completed, uh, what, how do you see, um, in terms of the relationship with Canada, uh, yeah. which scenario would be a better scenario?
2: Yeah, Trump's view of the world is kind of a you know, zero-sum game, I, I win, you lose, uh, and uh, that plays out in many different ways, <clears throat> and he can, considers himself a deal maker, but usually uh, he wants to make sure that the deals favor his side, so there's not the kind of collaborative sense that one would, would expect and one would hope for with Joe Biden. I can imagine, though, you know, as, as the American economy and I suppose the Canadian economy try to rebound from, from the current crisis, there will be more calls for, uh, uh, for, for relationships that, that are not based on as much mutual interest as some might like, but really each country trying to gain the, the, the best possible position. And that's, that plays into Trump's standard playbook. Uh, Biden, I think you could look to more collaboration. You can look to uh, less concern with Biden about making sure every country pays its big share of NATO costs and so forth. And I think that uh, uh, things will be more collaborative uh, in a Biden administration than in a a, uh, second Trump term. Um, But we're in a new, different world, and we'll have to see how all this plays out.
1: Well, I very much enjoyed our conversation. I thank you both. I hope we can call on you again as the campaign continues. Thank you. Thank you. Jonathan Berkshire Miller at the McDonald Laurier Institute and Ronald Schurin, political science professor at the University of Connecticut.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.